0: Online at KFUO.org.
1: And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians read through the Book of Concord and discuss our Lutheran confession of faith. On today's show, we're continuing to make our way through the small called articles, which are the articles confessing the faith written by Martin Luther himself. And we'll be looking at Article 9 about excommunication. Our confessor with us today is Pastor Mark Bestel. He's the pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. and I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill. Pastor Bestel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Pastor
2: Smith. Great to be with you.
1: It is a great pleasure to have you on. We have a short article that we're dealing with here today in Article 9 of Excommunication from the Small Called Articles, although It's a big topic, and I think we'll have no problem filling the hour with discussion on this. Um, One of the thoughts that kind of jumped to my mind, and it's even in the editor's notes, uh, that comes to us in the Concordia Reader's Edition, which we use on this show for our copy of the Book of Concord as we read through it here, uh, available from CPH. But, uh, uh, the, the editor's note even notes for us that if, if we put this in the context at the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther himself was excommunicated. And, and there's a lot of common ideas out there in the church today that excommunication is a nasty thing, something done, uh, you know, with, with you know, maybe, maybe grudges against others or done in anger or done vengefully. And, and, uh, you know, it's just not a nice thing and so forth. Um, and we're, we're going to address some of those misunderstandings here in the show today, even, but, uh, you know, I, I think it serves as a, a as a good witness for us just in kind of setting up here. That uh, for Martin Luther to even include this article when he himself had been excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church, the Papist Church uh, there in his own time, shows that it, it's, it does have a place within our Christian life and and Christian confession of the faith, and so uh, it definitely will serve us well to get a better understanding of this and and what it is that we do reject uh, even while accepting this practice of excommunication so that 's kind of my brief setup up. Um, you know in, in just you know kind of resetting the context for us, uh Pastor Bestel, go ahead and give us uh your introductory uh thoughts uh, set some context for us uh wherever you'd like to go with that
2: sure yeah I, I think you're absolutely right that it's important to remember that Luther was under uh, uh, the uh, papal excommunication uh, at that point in history, uh, and that and that you're also right. I think the second important fundamental point is how people commonly view excommunication, excommunication as something that is just this horrible, gross thing that nobody ever wants to be uh, involved in. Uh, and, and on those two points, taking each of them at a time, I think because of that, people uh, don't often see uh, excommunication actually being practiced in the Church today. It was being practiced obviously on Luther's Day, but not not today. It's it's uh, I liken it to uh, the the Mr. Irrelevant pick in football uh, in in the draft. Of, uh, we're, we're football fans in our household, and anybody who's a football fan out there knows that the very last uh, draft pick of the seventh round is like draft number 224 uh, of the of the year, and it's sort of considered Mr. Irrelevant because nobody really cares much about it anymore, except that it's grown into something that's sort of the spectacle. Uh, Uh, Because it's sort of this weird anomaly. Um, uh, And in the same way, excommunication, I think, is sort of seen in this sort of spectacle. Uh, uh, limelight that nobody actually sees it being practiced. Sadly, uh, because as we'll get through the hour, we'll see that this is actually a good, salutary practice. Uh, but nobody sees it being practiced, maybe because they see it as a Roman Catholic thing, because they remember uh, the excommunication that was uh, cast upon Luther, and certainly he wasn't alone. There were a lot of people who were being, you know, who had been excommunicated by Rome throughout history, uh, in in uh, uh, ways that you and I would not uh, agree with. Um, uh, but even among Lutherans today, uh, that we we know we confess it, but we also know that it's not really practiced that regularly, or we don't hear about it often. Uh, and so I think it's going to be uh, important going through the hour that as people learn what excommunication is actually for, uh, they see that, yeah, this is something we should be encouraging not only our pastors and our Board of Elders, but also encouraging ourselves as a congregation to take part in this. Um, it's interesting that it comes up here in the small called articles, not only because of the history of it, but think of what, uh, has already been talked about in the last couple of weeks on the show, uh, where you've mentioned that, uh, we're in a section in the, uh, in the, uh, small called articles where Luther seeing this as a great, uh, you know, his, his chance for a final great confession, uh, remember historically he had been commissioned by the elector, John Frederick, uh, to write these small called articles uh and it, during the course of them he fell ill he thought this might be the the last great confession for him for him to give uh and and therefore when we see here in article 9 uh when we see excommunication listed uh, right after the articles that we know are so central to the faith articles on the gospel baptism the sacrament of the altar the keys confession to have this article here means that luther saw this as essential uh, to the Christian faith, uh, this, this was not simply some oddity out in the background that everybody sort of winks at and says, "Yeah, we believe it, but nobody practices." It's essential to the Christian faith. You can't tolerate impenitence uh, uh, bred from false doctrine. It will it will lead uh, 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 the charge into false doctrine, away from Christ, and 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 therefore its own uh impenitence. So, um, uh as also noted on, on the show, uh this is this is in the context of sort of the return uh to the gospel. So, this has been um, uh in part kept in part with the binding and loosing of sins. Uh, certainly the, the the final extreme, if you will, of binding sins. I'm sure we'll get into that as the hour goes on. And, and a third part to mention, even uh, remember here in context, is that this is the third part of the small called articles. And remember when Luther uh, opens up with this uh, introduction to the third part, he says that the third part is to discuss with learned and reasonable people the practice of excommunication is reasonable Uh, again go back to this idea of tolerating impenitence what's that going to do to the life of the church if you tolerate impenitence it's very reasonable to practice excommunication Uh, nobody thinks it is unreasonable I, i don't i don't believe uh... to pray luther's flood prayer uh... when he prays that the child would be kept safe and secure in the holy ark that is the christian church being separated from the multitude of unbelievers. Uh, that, that sort of hints at this reasonable division between penitent and faithful and impenitent, obstinate, uh, stubborn, uh, that which is inside the Church and that which is outside the Church. So all of that is important to keep in mind as we get into these distinctions about uh, excommunication, the details of it, that all of this is motivated out of love for the individual, uh, and we'll get into that when we get into the definition of, of what excommunication hopes to accomplish, but it's motivated out of love to the individual and also out of love for the flock and love for the congregation, that it's very reasonable to defend the congregation from false doctrine.
1: Yeah, I like how you highlight there that this is reasonable, and and, and where my mind also goes with that is, uh, you know, just you know, in terms of, uh, use of rhetoric, for instance, that, you know, there, there is a reasoned approach to this. And I like how you, how you laid that out for us that this is, this is flowing forth from the discussion on the gospel. Uh, and then of course we have baptism, the sacrament of the altar, the keys, confession. He is building his argument. And, uh, you know, it, as this was to be, Uh, This was composed for a debate that never happened, um, you know, that 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 you would see that in a debate that you would build your case very carefully, um, you know, with one point connecting in with the previous point and so forth. And so this this does flow forth in a very reasoned way to us, even while it is a reasonable argument, just in the sense of, you know, this this is, um, you know, just something that we can easily understand is important for the church. And then I also wanted to highlight from your, from your earlier uh, conversation there in, in setting this up, um, you know, that, that you talked about, you know, it's fall into disuse, uh, but then also, you know, that, that sadly we don't use it. And of course, um, it's sad that we ever have to use it, um, and, and we never want to use it. It would be sad, uh, to use it. Um, but yet it is there for us for a necessary reason, as we will highlight as we, we proceed forward here, um, but then at the same time, um, that it's not the essence of what it is to be the church. I, I think I'm kind of loosely clo- quoting uh, Walther from his uh, pastoral theology here, that it is uh, essential to the to the life of the church, but uh, but it is not the essence of the church. Uh, meaning that if it's not seen there, that doesn't mean that it's not church anymore. Obviously, the essence is the gospel itself, word and sacrament. Um, however, as we have seen this reasonable connection here, that, that it is very much a part of the the church. It is, it is uh, a, uh, a necessary part there of the church. And so uh, I apologize for my poor loose quoting. I should just pull down my pastoral theology and quote it more directly. But uh, we have so much so to talk at- about. Uh, no time for that now.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Though that this is this is sort of an alien work, if you will. You know, sometimes we talk about those works of Christ that are alien to his his essence and nature, uh, and this is in some ways uh, an alien work, a, a sad but necessary work, uh, uh, and and therefore the church should not, um, in a sense, be afraid of it. Though you're absolutely right, the church doesn't delight in it, not at all. Uh, we're not looking for reasons to excommunicate people, uh, but sadly sometimes because of sin and obstinance, um, it it needs to be conducted again for the benefit, hopefully, of the individual uh, and also for the safety of the church.
1: And the best way, you know, at least I have found it, and as part of the the whole idea of this show, for us to to get that comfort with it then is to to understand it to teach it right and so that's why we teach these things we confess these things so that we can gain understanding of what it is that we confess uh together um as as the show opens you know to be of one mind with Christ and his word and so to to do that we we always highlight on the show that that what we have here in our lutheran confessions flows forth from God's own word, and um, I, I think that that's a necessary part of the context that we want to set up here too. Of course, if if you're reading along in the Book of Concord, we we see cited, and and I always read those those remarks as well, where they're citing scripture that they're not just pulling this out of their own minds and own thoughts, um, as sadly the papists often are the Roman Catholic church often are, uh, you know, they're, they're just kind of using the the reason of the day and thinking of the day. Uh, whereas, you know, we're, we're actually getting back to scripture. And so part of that context that I want to set for us are, are, you know where does this come from in scripture where do we see church discipline as kind of the broader term that we can use or or uh, excommunication where do we get that from in scripture that's maybe not cited here uh, specifically but but is clearly at work in this discussion from the get go would you like to go ahead and highlight a few of those for us please
2: Sure uh, and, and you're absolutely right. we'll We'll highlight a few because there are quite a there are quite a lot of them, to be honest. I mean it's not something that you would think the, uh, uh, is widespread in the scriptures, and yet there, there's, a, there's a lot of verses out there There are a lot of verses out there. We'll just pick a few uh, as the as the show the last couple of weeks has been focusing on the binding of sins, as we said, excommunication is sort of getting toward the the last stitch effort in that binding of sins. It makes sense that you might find some verses about excommunication somewhere around where you'd find verses about the binding of sins. So as we as we look at uh, Matthew 16:18, uh, John 20 uh four verses on binding sins, uh it's not or uh, it's not coincidental then that Matthew 18:18 18, 18 is where Jesus uh, says if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. So, of course, the context there is, you know, if your brother sins against you, you first go and show him his fault. If he won't listen to you, bring another. If he still won't listen, so you get that sense of obstinance and stubbornness. And so Matthew eighteen eighteen, if he refuses to listen to the Church, then you have to, in a sense, cast him out. Uh, uh, Romans 16 is another one. Uh, keep an eye on those who cause divisions and turn away from them. Uh, uh, that that uh, that passage is is used at various times. I believe even in the Confessions at, at points. First uh, Corinthians five is a real interesting one. Uh, there, it's a quote from uh, or a, a reference to Deuteronomy. Uh, Remove the wicked man from your midst. Uh, that's a um, the occurrence there in First Corinthians five is where Paul is talking about someone in the Corinthian congregation who is trapped in sexual sins, um, perhaps is impenitent about it. Uh, he 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 says, remove the wicked man from your midst. It reminds you know it it should remind the the reader uh, of the Old Testament there where it's cited multiple times in Deuteronomy, and then interestingly in in Second Corinthians two, um, uh, Saint Paul says to receive back a certain individual. Now we don't know that this individual is specifically the individual uh, uh, who was um, uh, uh, you know, threatened with excommunication in 1 Corinthians 5, but perhaps this is the individual from the first letter, and that's why Paul's writing about it in the second letter. Uh, and perhaps it's a, a reminder in a picture that the threat of excommunication not only works, but that it's there to receive the individual back. Um, couple other verses here that that I think are interesting. Uh, Titus chapter 3, when you get into the pastoral epistles, uh, it it happens in multiple places uh, that this is brought up. Titus 3, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. So you get this understanding there's to be patience with the sinner, uh, but the more he proves his impenitence, the more this has to come into play. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 and 2 Timothy 4, to see those Uh, passages uh, in relation to one another. Uh, In 1 Timothy 1, St. Paul talks about uh, the idea of having patience. Uh, The the word there in the Greek uh, refers to sort of a long patience uh, awaiting a sufficient time before expressing anger, which implies that there does come a point to express uh, the anger. Uh, And that patience is said not only of Christ, there in, in chapter 1, verse 16, but in 2 Timothy 4, it's it's the same word is used to reference the work of the office of the Holy Ministry, so we can see that Paul speaks of an experience of excommunicating um, uh, in 1 Timothy when he talks about the fact that he has handed over two individuals uh, there in 1 Timothy 1. He has handed over two individuals to Satan, and the quote there is, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So notice that by pastoral authority, he feels that he has handed over uh, uh, to satan these men not for a purpose of condemnation but for the purpose of correction that they might learn not to blaspheme the hope of excommunication is to be able to bring back into the church but you can only bring back into the church by the forgiveness of sins you cannot bring back into the church by deciding that you're okay with impenitence so those are those are five or six quick passages there are a plethora of them out there and yet uh... those are five or six good ones that show that in the New Testament church, uh, this is definitely being practiced. I,
1: I think you have highlighted that very well for us, and I especially like how you highlighted this coming from the pastoral epistles as well. You know, this these are instructions to pastors in the early church, and so clearly we see this was a practice of the early church itself. I also like how you highlighted uh, the reference back to Deuteronomy, uh, that this was a practice of the Jews as well, and of course uh, you also highlighted very well for us that from jesus' own words with the well known matthew eighteen um, you know, that, that this is, this is clearly the, the, uh, the progression of things, um, as we practice excommunication comes from Matthew 18. But I, I really like that highlighting of that, that the Old Testament church, you know, the, the people of God have practiced this since, since the beginning. And there's a lot of things that we could highlight from there as well. I recently had pointed out to me, actually, um, as I was going through the, the Gospel of John, uh, and was noticing there how often they fear being put out of the synagogue. Um, and, and, and I'm just going to highlight a few just to add to what you said, um, that uh, in John chapter 9, uh, we see that if anyone were to confess Jesus to be the Christ, that they would be put out of the synagogue. So they viewed Jesus and his preaching as a heresy. Of course, we know that that was part of the tension between he and the Pharisees and things like that, the religious leaders, um, at the time. Uh, but, uh, but that, that was a practice. And then it comes up again also, uh, when, when in John chapter uh, 16, Jesus actually tells them, they will put you out of the synagogues. And so this is a practice that was a part of the, the old Testament people of God brought into the new Testament affirmed by Jesus. Um, and then also by Paul to the early pastors, um, in his writing of the pastoral epistles there. Uh, and so I think also serves to highlight what I highlighted at the beginning that, that, uh, when we understand this practice, when we have proper teaching on it, uh, yeah, we get rid of the abuses where obviously at the time of Jesus, it was, it was a wrong understanding to say you'd be put out of the synagogue for confessing Christ because that's actually what they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah. They, they just didn't see him and recognize him because of false teaching. And, and so they were putting the wrong folks out necessarily, but then also even at the time of Luther, that, uh, you know, he, he doesn't get rid of the practice just because it was done to him and things like that, um, but he restores it to his right and faithful practice, which we've seen in so many of these these things, these articles that we have confessed as we have gone along. But but thank you for highlighting for us and setting that context of this is clearly a scriptural thing, and I like how you highlight that there's a lot more that could be said from Scripture on this practice. But uh, I think you've highlighted the essential ones there for us. So thank you for that. Um, sure. Let's go ahead and jump into the article itself. Um, unless you have anything else and set up that you'd like to, to to prep us for before we jump in.
2: No, uh, I, I, I don't think so. I'd, I'd like to come back to, uh, if you can remind me as the hour goes on, these readings from this past Sunday, if your if you're hearers uh, uh, are in a church that uses the three-year lectionary, the, the reading from this past Sunday and the readings from this coming Sunday. Uh, and it's amazing how these readings also talk about this. I think we'll be able to cover them as the hour goes on. Uh, but you mentioned the um, idea of uh, you know, that there was a false use uh, in the synagogue, uh, and yet they still use them. And the Lord also warns against those who, you might say, have no use of the call to repentance. Remember this, this past Sunday's reading in the Old Testament from Jeremiah 23, where he talks about those prophets who prophesy with vain promises, and they continually say to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly uh, follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. And then a few verses later, it talks about the fact that, uh, you know, behold the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. Um, Excommunication, as as we read it now in the short article, is there to forewarn people that this is coming, a judgment is coming, and you better take it seriously now, because if you don't, now we get to this coming Sunday's reading, the Gospel reading, there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth when you are cast out. And so again, it's it's the motive of love, uh, and it's the motive of trying to forewarn these people so that they are not left, um, if you will, outside the ark, pounding on the door. And Noah, at that point, the Day of Grace is over, and Noah could not open the Ark door for him, even if he wanted to. He wasn't allowed to, as a faithful prophet. He wasn't allowed to. Uh, the, the door had to remain closed because the Day of Grace was over, and now it's just judgment. And so excommunication is used within the Day of Grace to try to say to those who are hardened in their sin, uh, uh, this is our last-ditch effort, this is all, all we have left to do by God's Word and by God's authority, um, Is to, is to excommunicate with the hope uh, that it will uh, awaken you to realize that it's time to repent now and not weep and gnash teeth later.
1: That's an excellent point. And, and I like how you've highlighted for us early on that this is a motive of love. Um, and, and that's often forgotten when it's, when it comes to the practice of church discipline and excommunication. And, and have no fear. Uh, we had the Jeremiah reading two weeks ago in the one year lectionary. So, uh, all hearers oh, will go. be familiar with it. Very uh, <laughs> good. Uh, the, the three years just a little behind us. No, it's okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> but, uh, that, that is a high, uh, uh, an excellent point and uh, because, Right. I mean, ultimately, you know, it, just just to pick up on what you're saying there, you know, it always makes me think of, you know, especially how I teach this to uh, younger confirmation students and so forth of, you know, I generally, you know, will stand around like with a baseball bat or something. Maybe I'm not a good pastor. I don't know. But I'll stand around <laughs> with a baseball bat and I say, what keeps me from hitting you? With this baseball bat, because you frustrated me, and it doesn't take them long they're like the fact that you'll go to jail and it's like right you know that, that that there is a serious consequence that comes with my my action or inaction here um and uh and so I you know we we want to we want to frame this and you know that ties into the 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 application of the law as well. But, uh, um, you know, we want to frame this in an understanding that it's a loving thing that we actually have this as a barrier, uh, so that we understand, look, there, there is a day of judgment coming in. Right now we're in the day of grace. And so these things are dangerous and, and, and bad for our life here too, uh, as well as the life to come. And so, yeah, I, I thank you for highlighting that. Uh, and, and there's certainly a great place when we can highlight this again later as we come to the open and hard-hearted, um, discussion there too as well um any any more thoughts we we only have about you know a minute or so before we go to break, so rather than read and then go to break uh just any more thoughts on that um before we we go to break and then we'll come back to it
2: sure yeah um uh, i I think the open and the hard hearted since you since you mentioned that you know we'll we'll get to that uh uh in in reading it but um you know, sometimes uh, Christians worry that they sin- that maybe they're the hard-hearted, uh, that they're the the uh, unforgivable, uh, and it's important for Christians to be comforted that no matter how deep and dark the sin is, uh, if they're worried about it, it's it's probably a pretty good indication that they're not impenitent, uh, but that but that they have every reason to be uh, called by that call to repentance to see that the call to repentance is a. Um, Though it 's the work of the law in many ways it 's a uh, to use the term loosely a gracious thing uh, in, in, in 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 a sense inviting them and calling them uh, to receive the gospel uh, and, and so uh you know I think a lot of Christians worry whether or not they 've committed some unforgivable sin you know i 've uh, had people ask me quite quite often what is the unforgivable sin and have have i have I uh, sinned it uh, and, and so um, the open and hard hearted has nothing to do with. Uh, a particular sin that is more damaging than others, it has to do with one 's uh, unwillingness to repent, and, and so Christians can be comforted that, that if they 're worried about their salvation they probably haven 't committed the uh, the sin of impenitence
1: absolutely well stated well, and we want to communicate the gospel to our listeners so uh, don 't communicate this show from uh, your listening, please come right back after this break.
0: I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance here on Worldwide KFUO. For the month of August, your congregation or organization could become a church of the week for a gift of just $550. As a church or organization of the week, you're going to receive 35, 30 second announcements that you can write up. Now, we'll produce them. These announcements can tell about upcoming events, special services that you're having, whatever you desire to promote your church in those 30-second spots. In addition, your pastor can be a guest on one of our programs. It's a wonderful opportunity for you and your congregation. That's 35 30-second spots, plus your pastor as a guest on one of our KFUO programs. You do not need to pick a week in August, but you do need to commit during August. So get your church scheduled today. Call me, 314-996-1520. That's 314-996-1520. Grace Lutheran Church Wellsville invites you to join them for their annual... Drive your tractor to church Sunday. It's on August
2: 25th. That's coming up this Sunday. Service is at 10. The picnic starts after that. Everything provided good old-fashioned fun. Tractors will be on display, so if you got yours, put it on
0: display too when you drive it there to church. There's games for all ages. Everyone welcome. Grace Lutheran Church is in Wellsville. If you need more information, look it up on your fancy smartphone or call them at 573-684-2106. Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. Hello there, i from Scottville, Michigan. We appreciate having KFUO streaming into our home. The programs on KFUO have really built up our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you to all the staff for continuing to bring the good news to all the world. We will continue to keep you in our prayers. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. The word Tiffany brings to mind fine jewelry and decorative art. But at the turn of the 19th century, designer Louis Comfort Tiffany was known for his glasswork, especially his stained glass windows.
1: Rich in meaning and symbolism, stained glass windows were often used in churches as a teaching tool for helping supplement reading the text of the Bible.
0: Tiffany's innovations in multicolored glass images are particularly evident in his window portraits, Easter Morning and The Four Evangelists, originally installed in the Episcopal Church of the Epiphany in Orange, New Jersey. Tiffany was known for several unique techniques techniques, including layering glass, in some cases four layers thick. These techniques took advantage of the movement of light through the layers for a magnificent result. Engage with the Bible in its impact over the centuries.
1: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and we have with us a fellow Christ-Confessing Concordian today, Pastor Mark Bestel, uh, who is the pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. And uh, we are continuing our discussion here of uh, uh, the Small Called Articles, Part 3, Article 9 on excommunication. And we haven't actually read the article itself yet. However, have no fear we will do that now, uh, although I think all of the introduction and context that we help set up really helps frame our understanding and discussion moving forward uh, as we read this actually very short article. So I'll just go ahead and do that right now, and then uh, we'll get uh, Pastor Bestel in to uh, discuss this here. So this is, again, Small Called Articles, Part 3, Article 9, Excommunication. The greater excommunication, as the Pope calls it, we regard only as a civil penalty— and it does not concern us ministers of the church. But the lesser, truly Christian excommunication is this. Open and hard-hearted sinners are not admitted to the sacrament and other communion of the church until they amend their lives and avoid sin, citing 1 Corinthians 5. Ministers should not mingle secular punishments with this punishment from the church or excommunication. All right, so this isn't a, a broad definition, quite clearly, of what excommunication is or anything of that nature, and, and we've framed this with several of the articles that we've highlighted on this show as we go through the small Called articles, that, that it, it's not like we're looking for definitions here of what the gospel is or what excommunication is or things of that nature. Uh, as Pastor Bestel pointed out for us in, in the setup and in the context, uh, this is for uh, for reasonable men of theologians, it's prepared for a debate that never actually happened but but we know what these things are uh, pretty much however uh, there have been some abuses there have been some misunderstandings and and some things that need to be corrected and so that that is the concern here and so we see this discussion here in this very short article about greater and lesser excommunication uh, one as is is cited as you know uh, rejected and then the other one as the truly Christian excommunication and so we we need to have some understanding what this is. So Pastor Bessel, go ahead and please uh, explain to us what's the difference here between the papist or, you know, we use that term as, you know, cited here as the Pope calls it, you know, those who uh, follow the teachings of the the Pope, those are papists. So what's the difference between the papist, greater excommunication, and then this truly Christian, lesser excommunication?
2: Okay, sure. So uh, uh, historically, both excommunications were actually also practiced in the Roman Church, so the papist greater excommunication uh the the uh, in a sense imposed spiritual penalties and civil defamation, whereas the lesser excommunication removed from from the sacraments uh, and and if you will the the narrowly the life of the church there therein um, so the 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 I've probably the the biggest important point here for folks to understand the reason we reject the greater excommunication of the papacy uh, as it was placed upon Luther is because it it tries to make a threat uh of civil punishment uh and and in a sense temporal punishment having to do with uh, civil authorities and and civil life that really the church um uh, uh isn't isn't all about um We can get into uh, the difference between the papist greater versus the biblical lesser, because as Lutherans, we do uh, agree that there is a lesser excommunication uh, to to focus on. So what are some of these differences? The papist uh, greater excommunication from the Church was answerable to the Pope. Uh, you were you were uh, no longer allowed in the building, uh, and the Pope could say that in a sense for whatever reason that that he wanted. Uh, the biblical excommunication, uh, in the lesser sense, you're answerable. Not it's not an issue of being answerable to the Pope, but certainly to Christ. Uh, it's excommunication from the table and from the Church as the body of Christ you can still hear the word of god you're not in a sense uh removed physically from the building you're allowed to hear the word of god proclaimed you're allowed to hear law and gospel rightly divided because uh, what else is going to bring you back to repentance other than hearing law and gospel and, and bring you the forgiveness of sins other than hearing law and gospel? So you're not in a sense physically um uh you know cast out as an untouchable if you will Um, The papist excommunication, the the greater excommunication, as I mentioned, uh, also had to do with the civil political realm, communities. Uh, Remember, in uh, in Luther's case, he literally had a bounty on his head uh, so that he had to go into hiding and all these different things the biblical has nothing to do with the civil realm we don't uh, threaten anybody with the death penalty uh, you know it has uh, you know you can still be a, a business owner uh, a politician you can still be on the local PTA uh, those those types of things and I think probably the biggest uh, the, the third big difference is that the Papist excommunication, and uh, maybe this would be my interpretation of it, people might argue with me, but I see the the greater excommunication as being punitive. Um, it wasn't... Um uh, you know, once you get into civil defamation and things like that, there's not a whole lot of uh, recovering from that. Uh, and so maybe that's just my interpretation, but I would see it as punitive, where, as we, we talked about in the first half hour, the biblical version of excommunication is a last-ditch effort to be corrective. Uh, you you hope in the person's forgiveness, um, which, which also includes then a return to the church, a return to the table, uh, the angels in heaven rejoice over the sinner who repents, um, so that's that's um, uh, you know that's probably the uh, the way I would uh, in short order differentiate between the papist greater excommunication and the uh, biblical lesser excommunication.
1: You highlight there for us this punitive idea. Um, you know, this, this fear of punishment. And, and I agree with you. I, I think that there's a, a lot of sense out there that, that sometimes I think ties in with the discussion that we had in terms of the practice of confession and absolution, especially private confession and absolution, that sometimes I think people stay away from that simply because they, they fear punishment. In coming for confession, absolution, which is obviously not what it's all about. And that, that was part of the abuses. Uh, you know, even, even in this civil punishment idea, you know, that's more reflective of the abuses of the Jews at the time of Jesus, where you weren't just put out of the synagogue for confessing Christ, but, but as happened to Jesus himself, you could, you would be crucified, right? Or, or, or have other, you know, civil penalties applied to you there, that that's a part of, of, cultures that don't belong to the true church. Uh, we're, we're gospel centered, right? And so I, I often frame it as, you know, when, when folks come in confession, well, oh, that's really great because I have really good news for you, <laughs> right? That Christ that's died great. for you to forgive you your sins. And so, you know, we, we always want to highlight that, uh, so that f- people are not staying away for fear of punishment and, 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 and the fact that excommunication itself is is a rescue mission, as you've highlighted for us. You know um, that that it itself is not a punishment, as much as a stern warning of of the punishment that will come if you remain in your sins. So confess now. Uh, you that, know, that's, receive that's, this gospel.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. That that uh, you know, really, punishment is something that is only bestowed upon sinners if they reject the punishment that Christ has borne in their place. Uh, for, for Christians to be afraid of punishment when they come and confess their sins actually implies that they doubt whether Christ suffered punishment for them on the cross. Uh, and so part of that private confession absolution is the opportunity to remind them that there is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, but rather there's the free forgiveness of sins, so that right in the, in some of the rites of the Church, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Uh, we don't say, okay, now that you've confessed your sins, do you believe that my punishment is, is uh, uh, Christ's punishment? Um, we're not there to uh, exact punishment on, on the individual, because if we were, then Christ died for no reason. Uh, but sadly, for those who reject Christ uh, and reject his cross, now is where you do have to threaten that with excommunication um, uh, that that threat then remains, that they now want to bear the throne room of God by themselves and in their naked shame and sin. And now they will face that punishment because they've rejected the, uh, uh, the Christ's cross and the punishment that he's born for them.
1: And I think that ties in with the passage that you highlighted for us in the in the uh, first part of the show, that that key passage from Matthew 18, that kind of the, the last step, as it were, is to tell it to the church and that, the church come and speak to them. And 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 I like the words that, that we have there in Matthew eighteen. If he refuses to listen even to the church, right? And and so um, that that's that's what you're talking about right here, right? Is that they're refusing to listen. They're, they're the ones who are um, you know denying that Christ has taken that punishment. They're denying themselves the gospel as well. Uh, and, and so then I think this ties into other definitions that we want to highlight as well. So open and hard-hearted sinners, I want you to define that for us. But go ahead and, and make that connection if you have anything to say there, and then, and then jump onto that definition for us
2: sure so with the uh, open and hard hearted sinners being joined into this idea of tell it to the church uh, uh keep in mind in, in terms of definitions the uh the hearers uh, uh, should understand that there is a difference between excommunication and what we commonly refer to as the minor ban so when a when a pastor dealing with pastoral care dealing with an individual knows that the individual needs to be uh, uh kept away from the sacrament for a time uh, he's not thereby excommunicating the individual because it, it might still be private. It might still be a sin that is not publicly known because Matthew 18, that third step hasn't been taken yet of taking it to the whole church. It's when it becomes open and the guy is still hard hearted. You know, there's that Matthew 18 passage that you, you tell it to the church, and if he still doesn't repent, uh, now it's an open sin, now it's a hard hearted sin. Now we're talking about excommunication um the the minor ban is much more often practiced uh though perhaps uh uh you know should it be practiced more than it is you know, we could get into that topic i suppose but uh uh the, the minor ban is practiced perhaps even without people recognizing it that that's in the confidentiality if you will or the the quietude of of the uh the pastor caring for a particular individual uh, and hopefully not needing to get to that point of excommunication sadly in our day and age sometimes it happens that even before it can be brought to the church, the person's out the door. Uh, in our day and age of of mobility, the person runs to another congregation and and uh, and and in a sense avoids and evades uh, that last step of excommunication. And that's really unfortunate for the person's own soul. It gives you an opportunity to harden your heart rather than deal with uh, and and benefit from God's plans of the call to repentance going through the minor ban going to sadly the climactic point of excommunication having to hear that law so that you might be given the gospel
1: yeah it we often call that self-exclusion sometimes too where they'll just stay away sure and and sure, probably yep. i i see that practiced you know um more often in my pastoral ministry, um, than, than the minor ban, uh, which, which kind of just makes me a little sad to be honest about it because you, you're, you're completely, as you said, denying yourself even hearing the gospel. You're, you're denying yourself being called to repentance that you may receive the gospel, be forgiven and be restored, uh, to, to, um, you know, your, your rightful place as an heir of the kingdom of heaven. And, and you're basically just saying, I don't want to listen to it. And, and so I, I really, you know, I, I don't want to practice on me. I don't want to practice, you know, any kind of church discipline and, and, and hope that uh, we just come to repentance and confess our sin, um, much earlier. Uh, and, and seek to amend our ways. But, uh, you know, I, I just personally and pastorally, uh, I think that the sadder practice is this self-exclusion, uh, to where, you know, even as the pastor calls to try to even talk to him, you know, they're just hanging up the phone and, and that's maybe already moving to a, a hard, hard issue. But, but also, as you say, in our more mobile culture, where maybe they just move on to another church and things like that, that their, their soul is still at stake there, and and right. that's not a healthy thing either and brings in first Corinthians 11 and our right un- reception of the Lord's Supper. Right. That we come in repentance. Right. Um, and that's how that all ties in here, too. Um, so I, I've talked a little bit there. Let, let you go ahead there.
2: Yeah, the the uh, I think the other thing important thing to point out is the the difference between someone who is open and hard hearted versus someone who uh, might simply be caught in the web of sin. So to be hard hearted means you're you're impenitent. You don't you're not even going to try. You, you don't want to hear the call to repentance. As you rightly said, they hang up the phone when the pastor calls, or you know refuse to open the door when he knocks, whatever it might be. Uh, so the the you know there are there are folks who get caught in the same repetitive sin over and over and over again. that doesn't make them hard hearted Uh, The scriptures talk about on the one hand that the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of uh, heaven or uh, those who practice homosexuality or whatever the case might be, and that has to do with a hard-heartedness, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people who really wrestle with drunkenness, who really uh, wrestle with the temptations of homosexuality, who really wrestle with the temptations of gossip or laziness, Uh, and, and in that wrestling, even though they fall into the sin over and over again, they repent over and over again, and forgiveness is applied over and over again. Uh, And that's a a great comfort uh, for that individual that they're not somehow in danger of excommunication or in danger of hard-heartedness as they continue to wrestle with the sin. That's just part of daily Christian life. And all of us struggle with those sins that we find ourselves uh, uh, confessing repeatedly uh, because Satan knows how to get under our skin.
1: I, I like what you've highlighted there in terms of you know that that wrestling and struggling with sin is not the the same as being hard hearted and I think that's another fear uh, that we encounter quite a lot um, that uh, sometimes even leads to self exclusion itself too is that you know they 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 think that the gospel can't be for them uh, because they have this sin that they're wrestling with can you speak to that some.
2: Uh. The, the gospel the Gospel is for sinners right uh, Christ said he did not come to save the the righteous but uh, but sinners did not come to die for the righteous it 's not the physician who need or excuse me it 's not the, the the healthy who need a physician but the sick um, uh, th- this should be a comfort to every Christian uh, that uh, Christ knows that uh, we are not um, oh, how shall we say it, good, holy uh, uh, people all the time. That's not an excuse. That's not, again, hard-heartedness that says, why would I repent when Christ knows who I am? We repent openly and freely because Christ knows who we are and because Christ, despite knowing who we are, went to the cross for our benefit uh, and and now freely gives the forgiveness of sins to all who hide in him. So, um, uh, yeah, ev- every Christian should be comforted uh, that uh, uh, they need not... Uh, consider themselves hard-hearted just because they're wrestling with sin. Wrestling with sin is, is, a, is a common part of, of daily life.
1: Okay. And uh, thank you for bringing the gospel back to us there, too. That's, that's the comfort that we want to predominate this whole conversation, especially as we move into the next thing that I want to highlight here. It, it would seem to me that uh, it, it says right after that open and hard-hearted sinners are not admitted to the sacrament. All right. So in order for this to work, in order for there to be church discipline, it would seem like we have to have the practice of another hotly debated issue, especially uh, in our church contemporary where everything's just permissive and everything's a lot that that closed communion. I, again, a wrongly understood. A lot of people view it as a very negative and mean thing. However I, I think that that has to be connected in here somehow, so in order for us to to exclude and 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 follow the practice of excommunication, it, it would seem like we have to have closed communion in in place there how How does that relate in here?
2: If you don't have closed communion, if you simply welcome anybody and everybody, then that by definition is going to mean that you're welcoming also those who are impenitent uh, uh, the um uh, you cannot admit to the sacrament those who uh, those who have not yet repented, so in the text there uh the, the lesser truly Christian excommunications this open and hard hearted sinners are not admitted to the sacrament um, uh that 's part of pastoral care uh it 's part of pastoral care to say to somebody i'm sorry i I cannot communion be uh, commune you because of this and it and it does often. Enrage people doesn 't it they They assume that the sacrament is just there just for everybody to take as he or she pleases, but no it 's for us to take as Christ pleases, uh, and it 's for us to to uh, understand that the sacrament has um, uh, sort of a, again, sort of the alien work of showing uh, who is not uh, penitent because you're not you're not welcome to the to the table in the feast. Think of the uh, uh, the text for this coming Sunday again, the three year series, uh, Luke chapter thirteen, uh, where Jesus says that uh, there will be many that come from the the east and the west, the north and the south, the ends of the earth, and they will come to the feast uh, in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. Uh, that sort of is that picture there of saying the impenitent do not have a place at the table, and you get that in many other parables of Christ as well throughout the throughout the uh, uh, the gospels so close communion is a necessary essential practice of the church because without it you can 't actually practice um, the doctrine of saying we cannot give you the gospel until you repent. There is no such thing as, in a sense, forgiving the impenitent. Sometimes we hear that we're always supposed to forgive. Uh, uh, maybe we're we're always supposed to leave the idea of vengeance at the feet of Jesus or vindication at the feet of Jesus. But you simply cannot forgive the impenitent, uh, and and therefore close communion as an absolute must. Um, with the hope again that the person will say, wait a second, why don't I get to commune? You know, it opens the door of the conversation again, or, or it keeps that door open of that conversation saying, we want to commune you, but we cannot commune you if you're not going to repent on this issue.
1: And especially because it could be harmful to you as, as you are sure. denying that this forgiveness even applies to you. And that, that's the way I generally frame it in my pastoral practice. And I've done that on the show here before too, is it's, it's not that I don't want to forgive you either. It's just that you're saying, right. I don't need forgiveness. And so, well, I'm going to grant you exactly what you don't want, right? As, right. As yeah. that you, yeah. you are not forgiven. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 11,
2: absolutely absolutely right that that it will be you'll be taking it to your further harm. Why would I want to harm you further when you're already caught in this web? Uh, uh, rather I'm going to do that which is beneficial for you even if you don't think that it is or even if you don't like what I'm doing. Uh, There are are a lot of things that a surgeon has to do or a dentist has to do or whatever that a patient doesn't exactly like but it's still to their benefit Uh, and if you were to do exactly the opposite it would be to their harm and detriment. Same thing then with the life of the church that it's to their harm if they take it. It's to their benefit if they don't but it raises in their mind the fact that they've been excluded for a reason and so that's a very beneficial beneficial thing for them even if it's not an enjoyable
1: thing for them all right uh, some other things that i want to highlight from the text here um i asked you for some notes before we went on uh the the show here and and you 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 have a rather good note here uh all on this one word until and so i'm just going to go ahead and let you uh set that up up for us why why is one word until kind of a a a, a corrective for here for us
2: yeah so the text there open and hard hearted sinners are not admitted to the sacrament and other communion of the church until they amend their lives and avoid sin so often it's the little words that carry so much weight uh and with it so much comfort and gospel uh that uh the, here's the here's the proof if you will that the effort is corrective rather than a punitive aspect of of truly Christian excommunication um True excommunication is loving because it hopes to see the repentance and forgiveness and re-communication, if you will, of the one trapped in sin. You do not excommunicate, as we've said, out of punishment, as if you hate the sinner, but rather you excommunicate as that last-ditch effort that says, we really want to see you be brought to repentance uh, it allows you to, to to tell the sinner that you um, um, uh, you know that you understand uh, uh, how much danger his impenitence has brought him uh, to, and yet you love this sinner, you love this fellow sinner, uh, and so with every hope um, uh, that they will repent and that you will rejoice with them, you look forward to that day in which you are able to bring him back into it. So this is an excommunication until they repent. And then you gladly rejoice with them in the forgiveness of sins. As we said before, the angels in heaven rejoicing over the one sinner who repents. And so there's always that hope. There's always that until. Uh, and that's, that's a very comforting thing, again, for the whole church, uh, not just for the individual but for the whole church, that um, uh, there's always hope there uh, that the gospel will win the day because the person will, will come to repentance and, and uh, know that Christ is his salvation.
1: Okay, and so connected in there then with that they would come to repentance, we have these words that they would amend their lives and avoid sin. So so what does that look like? What what do those words mean for us here? What what does it look like to amend my life and avoid sin? What what are the qualifications for it? And we only have a couple minutes left here, so
2: sure it is interesting that luther doesn't say that they just uh uh, until they say they're sorry sometimes christians think all right i'll just say i'm sorry that's the end of it uh christ forgives and then i'll just go on in my conduct and activity but as saint john says saint john the baptist says uh that we bear fruits in keeping with repentance i believe uh uh uh, christ says that as well at, at, at times perhaps that that um that there is to be the conduct that matches repentance. Now, we have to understand that that can take time, uh, that it can happen in ways that are pub- are not publicly known or seen, and this is why ongoing pastoral care is so important, uh, because the pastor and the penitent know whether and how the penitent is wrestling as he desires to do better. So in that private confession setting, uh the penitent says, Here are my sins, I repent of these and I desire to do better. It implies the understanding from the confessor, uh, uh or from the one confessing that he knows that his conduct needs to change. So it's not just, I'm sorry, Jesus forgive me and then I'll keep going on and sinning uh but rather as Jesus even told the woman who was caught in adultery and who wasn't stoned, he said, Go uh... go and sin no more uh... and so that's uh... that's always a call to us as christians that forgiveness of sins is free and abundant uh... and yet we as christians thankful for that forgiveness are going to desire to do better
1: absolutely and i like how you've highlighted for us too. that the gospel is central to all of this it is a rescue mission it's a last-ditch effort as you've highlighted for us excommunication is a very loving move and especially when we have it rightly understood. So we thank you, Pastor Mark Bessel, for uh, joining us today to provide for us a a, a good, simple teaching of how we rightly understand excommunication as the truly Christian excommunication. We reject uh, the secular punishments and punitive actions that come into that. Thank you for being a guest on our show today. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to leave for us uh, to address the next time we convene for Concord, You can send us a message by phone calling 314-996-1542. You can email KFUO at KFUO.org or you can find us on social media at KFUO Radio. Thanks for stopping by today. Until we convene for Concord next time, keep confessing, church.